IndyCar fans, it's time to start your engines. Welcome to Pit Pass Indy, a production of Evergreen Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Martin, a journalist who regularly covers the NTT IndyCar series. Our goal at Pit Pass Indy is to give racing fans an insider's view of the exciting world of the NTT IndyCar series in a fast-paced podcast featuring interviews with the biggest names in the sport. I bring nearly 40 years of experience covering IndyCar and NASCAR, working for such media brands as NBCSports.com, SI.com, ESPN Sports Ticker, Sports Illustrated, Auto Week, and Speed Sport. So let's drop the green flag on this episode of Pit Pass Indy. Four-time Indianapolis 500 winning driver Elio Castroneves was honored at the Indiana State Capitol by Indiana Governor Eric J. Holcomb on March 3rd when his fourth face was unveiled on the Borg Warner Trophy. Castroneves became the fourth driver to win the Indianapolis 500 four times in his career with his winning drive in the 105th Indianapolis 500 on May 30th, 2021. Pit Pass Indy was at the ceremony as Borg Warner's Global Director of Marketing and Public Relations, Michelle Collins, helped Castroneves pull the wraps off Castroneves' sterling silver base relief face on the trophy. In addition to the official unveiling of a fourth Castroneves face on the permanent trophy that honors every winner of the Indianapolis 500, Castroneves also received another gift from the governor of Indiana. He was presented with the Indiana State flag that flew over the Indiana State Capitol on May 30, 2021, the day the driver from Brazil joined A.J. Foyt, Al Unser, and Rick Mears as the only four-time winners of the Indianapolis 500. And I interviewed Castroneves in the governor's office afterward for this exclusive interview for Pit Pass Indy. Joining us now on Pit Pass, Andy, he's back for the second show in a row as four-time Indianapolis 500 winning driver, Elio Castroneves of Meyer Shank Racing. Elio, we talked to you last week before the St. Pete Grand Prix. It's a little bit different atmosphere than we got now. We're at the Indiana State House in the basement of the governor's office, where uh, earlier today they unveiled your face for the fourth time on the Borg Warner Trophy. I guess in a lot of ways you get better looking every win. <laughs> yes, uh, like I mentioned before, it was um, uh, the artist Will. Um, uh, he did an amazing job. First of all, took a little wrinkles away, which is great. Um, but in the end of the day, I don't care how it looks as long as my face is on that trophy. Uh, for sure, it's uh, it means very special. What a special day! Be here with the governor and state house. Uh, so many fans, and uh, wow, I feel very blessed. I'm sure this was a different type of ceremony than you had for any of your other three Indy 500 victories. Do you remember anything about the 01 unveiling or the 02 unveiling or the 09 unveiling? I do. It used to be in a museum, actually, uh, the unveiling, not only with the trophy, but the tickets as well. And this year has been, or last year and this year, it's been absolutely spectacular with the unveiling uh, of the ticket at at, uh, Lucas Oil which was super cool to have this, uh, how do you call it? Not the SEMA. The PRI show. PIR show. Thank you, Bruce. And and now here in the State House, the last time I was here was actually in 2016. All these years that I've been, 2016 was my first time here, which was really cool. And, and now, so what a special moment. The governor of Indiana, Eric J. Holcomb, he's pretty tall, isn't he? Yes, very tall. I met him before, for sure, um, especially being a very good friend with uh, Tim Sindrick. And um, it was really cool to uh, to talk to him, uh, share some ideas. And what a gift he gave me, um, Indiana gave me, basically, um, with the flag that flew over uh, the day of the race. Oh, man, I, 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 I don't think... Um, it's amazing gift because when you're talking about memorable days and having something special, um, you couldn't ask for uh, for something better than the than the flag from uh, from the Indiana State. You seem to have been 
as struck by that as actually the fourth face for the fourth time. I think you had a little bit of an idea what the face is going to look like because we, uh, I talked to you when you were at Will Barron's house back in December. But to see the thing on sterling silver, how much different does it look when it's the actual thing attached, the actual face attached? It's amazing from the work that goes behind the scene. A lot of people don't know, and I end up learning more when we spend time with, uh, with Will in, uh, in, in North Carolina. And not only that, it was uh, that he builds uh, uh, basically a full, full uh, bust of your face. And then from there, min- minimized to, I don't even know what's an inch uh, or, or, yeah, two inches maybe. So it's uh, it's incredible. I mean, there was a lot, a lot of work, and uh, the, he 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 is very special. And that's why he's been doing this since 1990. Um, the face for so many champions, and uh, what a privilege for uh, for him to do that, and uh, and what an honor for me to have him uh, do do that work. The state of Indiana flag that Governor Holcomb awarded you, you really seem to take that as a very special gift. How important is that? Look. It's part of history, right? Um, for me, having something part of history is very special. Uh, I'm not talking about 10 years from now. I'm talking about 50 years when probably I'm not even here in this world anymore. And that's why I feel it's going to be very special. Hopefully, Michaela, my daughter, uh, and I will hold on. And, uh, and uh, whatever we do with, with all the trophies, but... Uh, hopefully stay in a very special place because it means a lot. In recent years, Borg Warner has been able to leverage the trophy and use it as a, an asset, uh, an activation tool in many ways to promote what they do in IndyCar and the Indianapolis 500. How important of a role do they play in that? Oh, Borg Warner, it's um, an incredible company. However, being uh, entitled in, in, in for the trophy and use, as you mentioned, uh, the tool to promote not only the name of the company, but also Indianapolis. And and let's face it, I mean, what an incredible trophy it is. Uh, you're talking about the Super Bowl, gold medals, and then you, all of a sudden the Indianapolis 500 trophy, it's a uh, it's it's an iconic play, uh, uh, thing that people don't realize that how special it is having the face of all the winners and wow, uh, it's, it's not only a market idea, but it's genius to have this scenario that people can actually see it, take a pictures, and this is going to be for many, many more years. To have this event at the Indiana State Capitol underscores how important this event is to the state of Indiana and how it's really part of the state's heritage and fabric and what it's like to be a Hoosier. And how important is that? How much of a sense do you feel of what this means to the people of Indiana. Bruce, talking to people, especially here in the State House, and people that being here with their their grandparents, with their parents, and now they're going, and it's special. Um, I keep saying to people that whoever have a bucket list, if they don't have Indianapolis 500 win uh, uh, race to go, they not, they, they, they're missing a big opportunity in their lives. This is a... This is special. It's very, very special because it's generations of generations. And uh, it's part of people's life. And um, anything that is part of people's life, uh, state, uh, it, it makes it makes this race special. <laughs> it makes me special um, and, and very honored to be representing a little bit of history. And... Um, and now we're going to keep it going. 2003, 2014, 2017, probably you add all three of those up and it may not even be a full second. You could be sitting here being a six-time Indianapolis 500 winner. How tough was it to leave the Speedway after those races as a second-place finisher? Well, first of all, anytime you don't win a race is already tough. Um, every time you finish second, uh for Indy 500, <laughs> special after you you able to be with experience to win before, and knowing how how amazing and a dream it is to to be in a victory circle, it crushes you. Um, 
But I took, you know, that is, and I tell you what, those three losses made me win last year, helped me to win last year because um, I finally, <laughs> I finally realized, okay, I got to right, wait the right moment. And, uh, and that's what really helped me. So in the end of the day, uh, those losses turned out to be a good lesson to, uh, to accomplish that number four. And when you got together with Michael Shank and spoke with him at 2020 about the possibility of doing it, joining his team, you seemed to be all in from the very beginning. What was it about that operation? Because Mike's type of guy, you speak with him for 10 minutes, and he's so inspiring as a team owner. Mike was honest. Mike was able to, I've been, I knew Mike before when I raced my first Daytona 24 hours with him in 2006. So I knew Mike from 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 the past. Uh, I knew Mike from a friend of mine, Osald Negri, that uh, many times we spoke. So, but what made me uh, realize that this would be a good partnership was the uh, how decisive he was. He's like, look, this is what I have for you. I want you here, and what can we what can we make this happen? Uh, compared to the other teams that were looking and talking and seeing and thinking. And that's when I realized if this guy, if this guy is this decisive, that means he believes in me and he wants me here. And I want to be in a place that I'm, I'm actually want, want to be wanted without a doubt. He did have his doubts, obviously. Everybody has some sort of like what we're going to do. But I, I made it very easy for him because he didn't know what to offer me. And uh, this story is very cool because I made him, actually, I helped him to make the offer. <laughs> I told him, oh, let's do this deal. This is how much I worth it, option one. And option two, this is, you pay me zero, okay? Just pay me the trips because, I mean, I got to go to the races. But every point I make, that's how much it's going to cost. It's your decision. If you believe me, I believe in you. And if your team screwed up on the pit stop, I'm going to be on the bad end here. But that's how much I want to be here. Um, <laughs> he chose the option one. <laughs> I tell you what, if you would have cho chose option two, woo, with the double points at Indianapolis, man, <laughs> it would be fantastic. But look, that's how... And that's why I felt there was a very um, a good partnership, um, and with Jim as well. Jim was very um, up to. Jim has, is is an incredible person, uh, amazing heart, um, and and he wants to, they want to be a, a they are on a way to be a big team, and um, I just want to be able to help to to push to that direction. Was it a bonus when they brought in Simon because you were already a teammate with him at Team Penske? You already knew Simon. You know, may have even already been friends with him. Yeah. When they asked me, I said, look, no question, there would be an incredible option. I'm not sure if he was going to come or not. I didn't know what's happening in the Penske world, what they were offering him. But when Mike and I spoke, we spoke with about several drivers, and I gave my opinion in several. And, and Simon was one of the options. And, and I'm glad. I'm glad he's here because my uh, Simon is not, as I said, I work together very well with him. We know how to work as a team um, because he understands that scenario. And it's perfect timing. It's, um, we want to go to an environment that uh, both drivers are, are pushing each other to, to elevate the team, and that's what's happening. Each of your four Indy 500 wins were emotional for different reasons. But how would you compare the emotions last year to the emotions of those other three? Because each one had a dramatically different story right. of what it meant to you. Yeah, 2001 was first win, first oval win. So for me, it was like, I can do this. <laughs> I can win finally in an oval. Before, I hadn't, I hadn't win in an oval. So that was very uh, emotional for, for me, a confirmation that I can drive in an oval. Uh, in 2002 was the back-to-back. You know, so many, and we didn't have the fastest car. In fact, we we're about to be a lap down, and all of a sudden, with the chaotic scenario that uh, 
I honestly didn't know anything about until after the race because obviously when I was driving, I was like, it was not even a doubt that I, I was leading the race. Um, and for me, it was super special for the back-to-back. And uh, in 2009, because I wasn't even being the, I had not even started the season that year and not even know, knew if I was going to be racing. And all of a sudden, I was visiting the victory circle. So all these three was leading up to the to last year with so many years of absence, close calls, and suddenly with a different team, never won. Um, nobody had her have us on the, even on the worst scenario as a contender. And, and all of a sudden, dominate that w- the way we did it. I mean, of, at least I feel that we had the, the dominator car. Um, it was just incredible. So, and, and history, right? Um, and, and becoming the number four um, uh, win and joining an incredible, the gods of racing. So it was absolutely special. You're on a team now where you're running the full season and you're going to be out there fighting for the championship. So Simon... How do you believe that's all going to stack up? The next race coming up is March 20th at Texas Motor Speedway, a track where you've had a lot of success. Yeah. So how excited are you to get back to Texas and maybe get this season pointed in the right direction for a championship? Uh, well, the, no question. Uh, it's a good preparation. You know, um, I, as I mentioned before, last year we didn't have any preparation uh, come leading to the Indy 500. And now knowing what I know now and going to an oval before, it definitely, definitely helps um, what we need to do to improve as a, as a team, as a as a driver, as as, as mechanics. So, um, and having Simon around obviously just elevate that area. So I feel that um, we need that. We need that if we, if we want to think in what we can think and what we know what we can do. Um, we need that race, and uh, and I can't wait for Texas because, like like you mentioned before, I gotta I gotta untie the record between me and Dixon uh, of most wins. So we gotta we gotta change that. I asked Alex Plo last week if uh, going back to the Indy 500, if he believed that what he did there last year, the field has the idea that they've got to beat Alex to uh, get to victory lane, and he said they got to beat Elio to get to victory lane. <laughs> See. Now I love it because now people, people believe that we can repeat it. And let me tell you, my friend, that's a big power. And wrapping up here, Elio Castroneves is the fourth four-time winner of the Indianapolis 500. Borg Warner memorializes you for all eternity on the trophy. But also they almost make the winners feel like they're part of the family. And how important is that for a company like Borg Warner that's involved in technical engineering applications to have that really close relationship with each of the winners of the Indianapolis 500. Bug Warner is a company that is all over the world. In fact, they have big facilities in Brazil as well. Um, having them not only thinking, as, uh, as I mentioned before, outside of the box, uh, being in marketing with, uh, with the trophy and special understanding the technology that Indy, IndyCar uh, the way the cars are built, the way the cars are managed. It, it's a genius marketing uh, uh, idea to uh, to have the rights for that trophy and to keep promoting that because it helps the company, not only in the status of having a, such an incredible trophy, but helps uh, helps the, the whole IndyCar series as well, having companies like Borg Warner Trophy, uh, Borg Warner behind us and help us to achieve our goals. It's hard to believe that we've known each other for probably 25 years now. Is a situation where you go, I know I look a lot different. <laughs> you don't look any different than you did That's when I met nice you. That's very nice of you. But I know I look a lot different. So Thank you. Thank you, Bruce. Four-time Indianapolis 500 winning driver, Elio Castroneves of Meyer Shank Racing. Congratulations on the unveiling of your fourth face on the Borg Warner Trophy here at the Indiana State House or actually the Indiana State Capitol, I should say. And and uh, good luck the rest of the season. Thank you for joining us on Pit Pass Indy. Thank you.
We'll be right back to Pit Pass Indy after this short break. In the world of racing, Penske means performance and winning. For good reason. Since 1966, Team Penske has won 44 national championships, 17 in IndyCar alone. And last year, Team Penske claimed its Indianapolis 500 record-extending 19th Indy 500 win with Joseph Newgarden, the latest driver, to win the famed race. Team Penske also won its second straight NASCAR Cup Series championship. In 2022, Penske was the first team in history to win both the IndyCar and the NASCAR Cup Series championships in the same season. Team Penske enters the 2024 NTT IndyCar Series season with 236 IndyCar wins, including 34 500-mile race victories. Those are results that are tough to top. But Penske's legendary reputation for quality and attention to detail makes a statement off the track, too. When you need a truck, whether for your business or for a household move, Penske Truck Rental has some of the cleanest, newest, and best-maintained vehicles on the road. And we make it easy with personalized support from our associates, flexible reservations, and access to the top technology. With quick pickup and drop-off at more than 2,500 locations across North America, our scale and know-how will keep you covered, all helping to ensure you get the right, reliable, fuel-efficient vehicle when and where you need it. On the highways, the raceways, and every pit stop in between, Penske keeps you moving forward. Gain ground with Penske. Get a quote today at PenskeTruckRental.com or for household rentals, download the Penske Truck Rental mobile app today. Welcome back to this week's edition of Pit Pass Indy. Our next guest is the winning team owner of the 105th Indianapolis 500. It's Michael Shank of Meyer Shank Racing. Elio Castroneva's Indy 500 win was the team's first ever victory in the NTT IndyCar Series. It also created opportunities for Meyer Shank Racing to increase to a two-car team in 2022 with the addition of 2016 NTT IndyCar Series champion and 2019 Indianapolis 500 winning driver Simon Pagano. Both Castronebas and Pagano were teammates at Team Penske from 2015 through 2020. Pit Pass Indy had an in-depth conversation with Shank that covered a variety of topics, including why IndyCar is experiencing a rejuvenation and his outlook for this year's Indy 500. Here is my interview with Michael Shank for Pit Pass Indy. Joining us now on Pit Pass Indy is team owner Michael Shank. Michael, the other day, your driver, Elio Castroneves, was honored at the Indiana State Capitol by Governor Eric Holcomb for winning the Indianapolis 500 for the fourth time in his career. They unveiled his fourth face on the Borg-Warner Trophy. I don't know about you, but that's pretty big news when a governor of a state honors an IndyCar driver. Yeah, you know, uh, that, that was really, really neat for me to see, for Elio, for the team, for all of us, the partners involved. Uh, that was really cool, it, and it actually shocked me a little bit to see the governor there. I think, I think that shows a lot. It shows a lot of respect for what we have over there uh, at the Speedway and the history and the significance of what Elio was able to do, and of course, what we're going to do or going to try to do uh, this year for going for five. It also underscores just how the Indianapolis 500 is a state of Indiana treasure. It's really something that 6.5 million Hoosiers are very proud of to have in their state. I know you're next door in Ohio, and there's a lot of things that people in Ohio have pride in, whether it be the Ohio State Buckeye football team or anything else. But, I mean, what does it really say when this one singular event brings so much pride to people from the state of Indiana? You know, I saw, you know, it's funny. I, I saw a sizzle reel that I think Indy Car or somebody in Indianapolis put together of crowd reactions when you're at the Speedway, when you're there for the, for the, the, for the race day and all the pageantry beforehand and the emotion people feel because they grew up with it. 
And I understand that. And even though we're three hours down the road here, I still have that same, I don't know, hometown feel and a guttural thing that you never escape from. Whether you lived in Midwest and you moved out later in your life, you always come back to where you were, you grew up and what your parents showed you and taught you. And, and I think that is a a hundred percent Indianapolis at that time of year. Actually, it's all the time. Actually, I'm finding after we've won the race now, but uh, I think it's amazing. I think it's part of America. And, um, and I think people have accepted Elio, even though he's Brazilian, they've accepted him as one of their own in central Indiana and all around the central part of the U.S., I think. Um, and it is really, really something special. In addition to the unveiling of his fourth face on the Borg Warner Trophy, the governor of Indiana presented him with the Indiana state flag that flew over the Capitol building on May 30th, 2021, the day he won his fourth Indianapolis 500. Elio seemed to be as taken back by that as seeing his face on the trophy for the fourth time. Well, I mean, Elio, if anybody understands the gravity of the, the, of the situation here, I mean, you're talking about true American history and, and to have a, a piece of Americana like the flag flying over the Capitol. I mean, that, that's beyond anything I ever thought I would see, to be honest. So trust me, uh, Elio will treasure that, and it will live in his kind of wall hall of fame there he has at his home and uh, in a special place. That is, a, that is a big, big deal. Now, as a team owner, there's been so much time spent focusing on and talking about what has already happened, Elio's fourth Indy 500 victory. Do you think in some ways the carryover effect can almost keep – some drivers focus and minds off of other things that are right in front of them. Well, um, maybe it, it, it maybe, I mean, with Elio, I, I, Elio is such a cool customer. I mean, he, he, the thing is he's done it for so long now. He knows exactly what he wants. And even when I think maybe he's not so focused, he's completely focused. Uh, even at the Rolex 24 this year, when we had him do, the closing stint to win the Rolex 24 with Elio driving this year. He's, he is, he has the rare ability to zone focus. I call it meaning he'll take all the noise outside of it. And it's hard for him to move around a paddock anymore these days, right? Like he takes all that crap and puts it to the side and he focuses in one. He's just got that. He's a rare person that has that ability. Um, and that's kind of the cool thing about him, you know, especially at IMS on that. Oval. He's already talking about the drive for five. I'm sure you're already thinking about providing him with a car capable of winning his fifth Indianapolis 500 with that motivating him to be the only driver that's won that race five times in her career. How important do you think that is to him? And how much does the whole team feel that we feel it every single day? And I'll, I'll tell you right as we speak right now, Bruce, as we speak, that car, his car for the 500 is in a wind tunnel in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, that car is being perfected. It's the same car we won the race with in 21. We've kept it. We saved it. And we went back down to the wind tunnel to try to see if we can get some more improvements out of it. So we think about it every day of every week. We think about focus for the guys. We think about focus for Elio. We think about everything we could possibly do to duplicate what we did last year. And how did we do that last year? Where do we apply pressure? Where do we let off the pressure? You know, all those things that we do, we're trying to duplicate right now. And um, I, I think we have a tremendous opportunity. It's incredibly difficult, near impossible, but we're trying to set it up that we put ourselves in a position to do it again. Now, the one thing about that is you can have the perfect car. You can build the perfect car to operate aerodynamically. You can have all the engineering things work perfectly, but then anything can happen in the race. It's 200 laps. There's 32 other drivers. A hot dog wrapper could get stuck in one of the air vents, cause the engine to overheat. What does it say that there's so much preparation goes into building the perfect car but it can all just go away over some random act. I think a great example of that is Graham Rahal last year. Graham was extremely quick in the race and was a competitor for sure for the top five last year. And they just had a little issue in the pit lane, which any of us can have at any time. So what you're saying is extremely relevant. But, but what I don't want to have happen 
if something not go right for some subject or some department that we controlled as a team. So we're going to control everything we can possibly control, put the trust and hope in my team that we pay them to do and, um, and see where we roll out. There's a lot of things that went our way last year, luck wise, and you know, we got to have that. So, um, you know, well, I, I just, I, I just try to get this like Zen focus for my guys with regard to the car build and the preparation, you know, right after we do, we do qualifying and we do that last practice before we go out for fast Friday, we just make sure we've touched up everything we can on that car. You've been described as a very inspirational individual that a lot of the drivers that have driven for you, it's almost like you're not the team owner. You're almost a family member. You're so inspiring. They want to run through a wall for you. Now you bring in Elio and he's kind of inspiring in his own little uh, sense. So uh, how much inspiration do you guys feed off each other? Um, I think we're the right people for the right time right now for each other. Just not me though. Me, Jim France, you know, my wife that's involved. All of us are the right people at the right time of all of our careers. And that's, that's the interesting thing part. That doesn't mean we're going to win. It just means that even if we don't win, we're still here for each other and, um, and, and, and support each other. We try to give each other what we want. So as an example, if Elio needs a different steering wheel or different seat belts, because he like, you know, what we're going to, we're going to try to give him everything he needs to have the tools that he needs. Right. If we have someone that's struggling on a pit position, you know, who can we substitute while they're in the struggle zone? Right. Um, every single thing we do, uh, we try to be transparent about it um, so that everybody knows the goal. You can't take it personal. If it's not your day, we're going to figure out someone else, someone else to do the job or something. Um, and I, uh, I know it's rambling a little bit, but, you know, there's just a good there's a good vibe right now. Now you bring in a savvy veteran, a former Indy 500 winner and a former champion, Simon Pagano. They've very familiar with Elio Castroneves because they were teammates at Team Penske. What does uh, dynamic does Simon bring to the team? Uh, it's a whole nother level. His commit, I mean, like his, I don't know what you call it, science. His the way he approaches everything from a test to a race on road course race on mobile, it's, it's a different level for most people I've been around and um, they complement each other really, really well. Uh, they haven't gone head to head super hard on the track, although they were close to each other, unfortunately at St. Pete last week, but um, they, uh, they work really well together and they feed off each other. And when one's on the track and the other, the other, they're on the other person's stand listening, there's a wide open policy at our shop. They get to know everything everyone is doing, um, and, and I like it a lot. And uh, a lot of their drama was worked out many years before they got involved with me, and um, uh, that's the best part of it. So I, I, I really like it. We didn't have a great weekend at St. Pete, but um, uh, th- there was tons of positives to take out of St. Pete, and then one of them is the way we all kind of work together. And you, you can bet your ass for the last – Seven days since we've been home, we've been doing nothing but working on our processes uh, post. Elio finished 14th, Simon finished 15th. What really were the issues at St. Pete? Really, it was just simply, there was was two. One was the track position that Elio started with, which wasn't great. So we didn't have a great qualifying. The second is just for Simon, who did have track position, or at least reasonable, uh, just, you know, decide between a two and three stop race based on what we thought the red tire wear was going to be. And um, it was the wrong one. So 10 or 11 teams got it right. The rest of us didn't. And um, and that that keeps me up at night. I think about it every night. It pisses me off um, that I deviated on something I was thinking we should do. And, um, you know, it's just going to make us stronger. The best news is, though, Elio and Simon looked at it. They get it. You know, no, no blame, nowhere. How are we going to learn? Let's get to Texas. And by God, we're going to Long Beach after that, and it'll be a replication of St. Pete. Let's just not do this again. Let's let's figure out a better way forward. And, uh, you know, that's what we'll do. And um, uh, I'm hopeful for sure. Speaking of Texas, Elio is a four-time winner there also. Um, a chance to win his fifth race at Texas Motor Speedway coming up here on March 20th. When you look at Elio's career at Texas Motor Speedway, 
you as a team owner really have to feel like a victory is very achievable. I Well, listen, I mean, we're, we think we can do well there. Now, you got to remember he hasn't been there in four or five years now, and we got the PJ1 or whatever they call it, the material they put down, which really changed Texas, the track and the line and all that. However, it said that, we get, Bruce, we get one hour of practice before we go into qualifying. That's it, right? So it's, I'm just hoping it comes back to him like it did before. We got tons of data, tons of video, so he knows exactly what he needs to do from a line perspective with the new PJ1 on there, from a gearing perspective when he's shifting, not shifting, how the track rate, he has all that. So that combined with his experience at the place seems to bode well. So, and I think Andretti's cars, uh, again, pretty, you know, our technical lines there, you know, will pay off. So we certainly feel like we could be, uh, be competitive. I know that that weekend is a little bit of a issue to you because you also have an IMSA sports car program, you know, the Acura program in IMSA. On the 19th, they're running the Sebring, 12 hours of Sebring, and you were going to have Elio as one of the drivers in that race. And then the schedules kept getting changed and changed and changed. Now he won't be in the race so that he can run in the IndyCar race. How disappointed are you that that whole thing ended up the way it did? I'm pretty disappointed. I'm not happy about it. And uh, my hope is that that's been heard. And it's just not me, though, by the way, Bruce. There's other people involved in this that have conflicting things that didn't make it easier. So, um, you know, we just hope it doesn't happen next year. And now we just got to deal with what we got to deal with. Now, it would have been very easy for me to have Elio in my sports car. It would have been a natural, very, very natural thing. Uh, since it didn't work out that way, we reached out and we grabbed uh, Stoffel Van Dorn, who is the Mercedes Formula One uh, reserve and Mercedes Formula E driver. He tested with us a couple of weeks ago at, at uh, Sebring, did a fine job. So we'll have him there instead. Unfortunately, it splits my time more than I would like, um, but it's part of our reality sometimes. So I have a very good group of people in the IMSA world. Uh, I do not talk to the car on that side anymore. I do talk. I'm the one communicating with Simon, so I'll be at, with Simon in Texas starting on Saturday morning. I'll be in Sebring up until Friday night, and um, we'll do everything we can to support both sides. It's very, very important to us that we try to win Sebring uh, with the sports car program coming off the momentum that we have right now. And, uh, you know, Sebring's been on that weekend for since the earth cooled, I think, pretty much. So. Uh, we're we're hoping that we don't have this conflict again. Were you given a good explanation why the IndyCar race had to be that weekend? Yeah, I was. You know, Jay, Jay was Jay was with me the whole time. Jay did nothing but try to make something work for everybody, and it just wasn't meant to be. So uh, that that happens sometimes. And uh, Jay's Jay's done a, a million positive things for us, and I'll never say a word about it. So uh, it just it happens sometimes. Well, what was the reason why it has to be on that weekend? Was it a TV situation or, or, or what was it? I don't it? know. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't know the, the whole thing, and, and, and that's okay. But it mostly was based around the opportunities with television. And and um, we've pushed IndyCar, we've pushed SportsCar to get our, our races on uh, national primetime stuff as much as possible. And this, this was an opportunity that wasn't going to be lost. Now, when you look at your IMSA program, how excited are you or how confident are you about winning at the 12 hours of Sebring? Well, uh, let's just say up front, Sebring 12 hours has not been kind to MSR for all of eternity. <laughs> so we have had, we finished third there last year, which is the best we've ever done there. Um, I'm anxious. I, I'm, re- I, I'm so interested, and I don't think, in Acura, I don't believe it's won at the, at the 12 either. It's a very, very, very difficult race to win. I believe it's harder than the Rolex in a lot of ways. Um, we need to add it. We need to keep our momentum going. I think I think if we could win this race, it really put, puts an exclamation point on last year, meaning we had it's nothing. I've talked about it publicly a million times. We had a tough time, didn't, uh, didn't perform like where I thought we should. We came out of the box this year, a much uh, better group. And uh, if we could win it, we could. It would just really uh, show the show show everybody what what I was talking about. That we we're going to make some changes and, and improve. So it's extremely important to me 
that we make a gain at Sebring this year. The business climate now seems to be very positive for IndyCar. What do you see as being the biggest reason for that? You know what? I'm going to say something to you, and you know it can be debated, but I believe in a lot of ways that the drive to survive thing on Formula One has risen. That tide has risen all boats. And I'm, I'm just telling you, in general right now, my feeling is that motorsports coming out of COVID – is on a really high trajectory that, that we've ever had, even going into COVID. This is way far. And, and I'm just, I'm, I'm not only talking television numbers, spectator attendance, I'm talking about uh, business deals, partnerships that we're able to put together now coming out of COVID are much stronger than they were before. And I, I, I put that on a couple areas. Obviously, the need for entertainment is high right now. I'm a little bit worried about the conflict in Ukraine, honestly, to see what happens long-term with that and if we get heavily involved in that as a country. But beyond that, I think um, we have a great product. Uh, People are hungry for it. Uh, I think you're going to see that at Indianapolis big time this year. But every race we've gone to, even the Rolex 24, everything on both sides of the aisle, you look at St. Pete, I I think there's 150,000 people there. Um, it, it's just incredible kind of this growth that we're on right now. And, um, and I think, you know, we, you know, if we could get, uh, uh some kind of, uh, reality based docu-series on IndyCar too, I think that would also help drive it. So, um, let's see what happens here. You brought up a real good point about the Ukraine. And one of the things that I keep thinking about is if gas prices start to get very expensive here, now all of a sudden, a lot of people had to make choices of what do they cut out? And unfortunately, entertainment is usually the first choice that gets cut out. Is that a real concern of yours? Yeah, it is, because it is a concern. And um, not a lot we can do about it except to say that, you know, <laughs> if you come out to the races and you want to be and you want to talk and you want to get pictures and autographs, you know, we're going to try to make it worth your while. Um, everyone is still hungry to come out to, to races, I believe, that coming out of COVID still. But uh, it could be a problem. I and mean, we get $5, you know, as an average, let's say, if it's 450 to $5 across. I mean, that's, that's going to tell a lot. And uh, that whole thing makes me a tad bit nervous. And I hate it since we're, since we're on such a positive roll right now otherwise. And also with sponsorship dollars, it seems to be that there's more sponsorship interest in IndyCar now than we've seen in quite a while. Just walking through the hospitality area at St. Pete, it was packed with hospitality units. There was, and every hospitality tent was jam-packed with customers, with spectators. Michael Lanigan of Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing said it felt like the early 90s to him when everybody talks about the good old days of cart. I think uh, he's incre- he's exactly right. That's exactly what it felt like. I, I mean, that's be- obviously it's before my time a little bit, but that's the part I don't want to lose. That's why I get worried about these outside influences like the conflict in Ukraine uh, affecting what we got going on here. Not a lot I can do about it, but... Uh, uh, that momentum, that that energy that he is sensing and seeing is exactly what I'm seeing. And um, we have, uh, you know, we're in a situation where we've, we've sold out all of our space on two cars. I mean, it just, it's a rare time, right? So, um, and also you see hospitality units fired back up again. Uh, they were put away for a very long time, you know, so that's a positive thing. And the good news is the leader circle funding is back to the level it was supposed to be, which means the purse at the Indianapolis 500 will be back to 100% after two years where it was cut in half. So that only has to increase even more involvement from companies and from race teams, you know, to take a, as much of an effort as they can to win that race. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I can just personally tell you for us uh, what it means for the business to win is uh, beyond measure. I, I don't think you can measure it, even if you wanted to. Uh, the goodwill it takes and 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 it never stops giving, you know. So, uh, turns out we're going to focus a lot on winning the Indy 500 for either one of my guys. Obviously, we're going to give equal effort, and um, uh, but I'm I'm pretty confident going into uh, 16th and Georgetown there. And while a lot of people may look at your recent success as happening suddenly, you're 
journey to get here really took a lot of time. Going all the way back to 2011 when you announced with A.J. Allmendinger that you were interested in putting together an IndyCar team, didn't quite happen that way. Uh, it was still a few years later before you got involved, but you took it very methodically and step-by-step. Step. And how important do you think that was to ensure your success? Because we've seen some IndyCar team owners come in here. They jumped in well before they were prepared to do it, and they're not even in the paddock anymore. Yeah, it, it, it's, every, it's everything. Like, uh, that was my whole strategy. I got Jim Meyer on, on board with that strategy early on. Uh, we're going to do exactly what we say we're going to do and no more, even when it's tempting to do more. And uh, and I swear by it, and I think it's a modern way to go into car racing. That and that 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 idea, and also the idea of technical alliances instead of having a full blown, you know, uh, engineering depth chart. Um, so I'm really pleased how we've gone. And as we add cars, we did the same thing with Elio last year, six races, not the full season. Uh, you know, we've kept, we, we have a method to our kind of madness here and um, it works for us. And, and that's, that's all I really know. You were also a driving factor behind forcing IndyCar and other types of open wheel racing to come up with some cockpit protection devices after we lost Justin Wilson. Over the weekend, there was some talk that by somebody who came over and visited the paddock from Formula One, that the drivers would rather have a halo rather than an aero screen. It turned out a lot of the drivers claim they never talked to this individual. Where do you stand on this whole debate? A lot of people have brought up that the aero screen adds more weight, makes the cars more difficult to drive. But I think we've seen where the IndyCar aero screen concept has a lot of advantages that maybe the halo doesn't. Uh, <laughs> this is tricky. Uh, I, I don't know who they interviewed. I, I still haven't figured that out, but I don't know. I don't know anyone driver that thinks it's not worth it. Not one. Uh, so I think that's bullshit. So uh, let's just say, that I think we have the perfect solution there overall for ultimate protection for our drivers. And uh, you can debate which is more effective. I, I get it. We have both. We have, so we've doubled down. We kind of got both solutions on the car. Yes, it is heavy. I agree. It's a, a, a really too heavy, but uh, that's a whole nother subject. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, theoretically, I'm going to lose less friends. Well, it was a little bit of a surprise to us, too, because if you go down the list of IndyCar drivers, practically all of them never spoke with the individual that claimed that as being the case. So it really kind of makes you wonder who's saying what anymore in terms of the paddock. That aside, though, you laid down the gauntlet to IndyCar at Justin Wilson's memorial service. Do you think that that day really made a lot of people wake up and realize to take what you said to heart? Because you were pretty stern in, in your message that you gave that this has to stop. Uh, I don't know. I mean, listen, at that point, if you think about it, I don't know if that's true, Bruce. I, you know, that was just the loss of a friend and a driver that was still driving for me at the time. You know, in sports cars, I wasn't in IndyCar. So I really didn't have a stake in the ground at that point. It just didn't make sense to me that, there's a group of people saying that's, you know, it's dangerous. Everyone can do it. That kind of old school mentality. I just didn't think hold water anymore. It holds water anymore. My point was that right in front of me was his brother and his wife and essentially their kids sitting there, you know, or Dan Weldon and his wife and his kid. I mean, or we just can keep going on, right? That this thing would have clearly saved my life. And I just, I just, we just, we can have great competition. We all have the same pieces and uh, go on with life and compete with each other on a level where, yeah, it's still dangerous, but, you know, we have high odds of not losing uh, our life. And also last weekend, he announced that the hybrid assist engine is going to be delayed till 2024 because of supply chain issues. What are your thoughts on that? And in some ways, is this a benefit for the team owners who have another year to maybe get financially prepared for this big change or even IndyCar's engineers to find a way to make the entire package a little bit lighter? Um, this is an interesting one. I can tell you that it's not the greatest thing for our engine partner at Honda just because of the way they have had to sell this to corporate Honda in Japan. It's probably not the best thing for that, and that's important to me. 
from a team standpoint, it's okay for us because it does shove it down the road a little longer and it allows for the process to develop a little bit better. Meaning one of the, my fears is that we get into this development cycle and we're DNFing races because we're really not ready for it yet. The integration, I mean, of hybrid and, and power units. Um, I like the idea of pushing it off from that perspective. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag for me. Um, you know, on the sports car side, we are bringing in hybrid to 23. So that part's good. We'll have some experience with it in-house. Um, but, you know, it's it's a little bit. You know, overall, um, I've said this to you and some other people, you know, we could probably use a new car, an Indy car. I hate to say that because I'm the one that's always busting down Jay Fry's door about costs, right? But the car now is getting so heavy and is so dated that, you know, we probably ought to look at it here sometime fairly soon and bite the bullet. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think, you know, Jay has done a, just a marvelous job at phasing things in, not only the phase in for team owners, but also the way we have to pay for them. He's arranged a different way we pay these suppliers when we bring on these big, big updates and made it uh, really palatable for teams like ours or any team, to be honest. He started off slowly and methodically with a good business plan, and he ended up winning the 105th Indianapolis 500 as a team owner with driver Elio Castroneb as Michael Shank of Meyer Shank Racing. Congratulations on everything you've been able to achieve, and good luck this season. And thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy. All right. Thank you, guys. And that puts a checkered flag on this edition of Pit Pass Indy. We want to thank our guest, four-time Indianapolis 500 winning driver, Elio Castroneves, and Meyer Shank Racing team owner, Michael Shank, for joining us on today's podcast. Along with loyal listeners like you, our guest helped make Pit Pass Indy your path to victory lane for all things IndyCar. For more IndyCar coverage, follow me at Twitter at Bruce Martin, one word, uppercase B, uppercase M, underscore 500. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thanks to our production team. Executive producers are Bridget Coyne and Gerardo Orlando. Recordings and edits were done by me, Bruce Martin. And final mixing was done by Dave Douglas. Learn more at evergreenpodcast.com. Until next time, be sure to keep it out of the wall.